Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst. With me to look at the mortgage time bomb ticking under the British economy is Labour frontbencher, Abena Aponwasare, the Shadow Exchequer Secretary, who's speaking to us on the road in Uxbridge for the by-election, as well as James Smith, Research Director at the Resolution Foundation, and Adam Hawksby, Deputy Director at the centre-right think tank Onward. James, I'm going to start with you. Can you just explain briefly kind of what the kind of rising interest rates mean, where we kind of are now and the kind of the financial impact that that has on households in terms of how that uh, reflects on on people's mortgage payments each month? So we've been on quite a journey. We came out of the pandemic. Uh, Everyone was was happy to finish with the pandemic. But then the cost of living crisis arrived with Russia's invasion of the Ukraine really driving up inflation, but supply chain disruptions, all that kind of leaving us with a hangover from the pandemic of really high inflation. And since then, the Bank of England have really been battling this high inflation. They've been raising interest rates. They've done that 13 meetings in a row. That's unprecedented. This is the biggest rate rising cycle since the, the late 80s in terms of the overall rate increases so far. But what's really come onto the radar over the, the past couple of months is the, is the stickiness of inflation. So if you look at the labor market, if you look at the inflation data, what you've really been seeing is inflation surprising to the upside, but looking stickier than than people expected. If you look at those underlying measures of inflation, things like services, inflation, where you're not getting the direct impact of all those big cost of living impacts, like particularly energy, then you're seeing inflation look higher, last longer. And all this is pushing us towards increasing interest rates even further. So because that's that's kind of what the Bank of England's big lever to try and bring down inflation is to push up interest rates. Obviously, it's a very blunt instrument, essentially, to try and do so. And it's not it's not really been having the effect necessarily that they've wanted it to over the past uh, few months. Well, the trouble the Bank of England have is their their key tool, as you say, interest rates is, is hitting the economy with a bit of a time lag. So you end up seeing all this pressure from higher inflation. The bank has only one tool, which yeah. is a button they keep pressing but they don't know the effect of what they're doing now for about a year a year and a half in terms of in terms of the overall effect so we've had these big in, increase in rates what that's done is really meant that the the sort of cost of living crisis has morphed into a sort of mortgage crisis so we have people moving off those fixed rate deals on their mortgages facing something like three thousand pounds in terms of higher annual repayments on average it's obviously a massive concern for for homeowners and over the past few weeks we'd seen this really big rise in interest rate expectations so even more of that pain to come now thankfully we've had the inflation data for june those of a surprise to the downside finally yeah. so i think general relief all round on from that and uh, those expectations have fallen back a little bit but we're still seeing really big pressures on anyone who has a mortgage and it's a really delayed mortgage time bomb so we, we calculate something like a, a sort of 16 billion hit from higher mortgages for for families but two-thirds of that to come through and that's bad news for the government given they're facing an election over that period yeah and we're going to come on to the the inflation figures this week and whether that's actually going to perhaps bring down some of that interest rates as, as we go but I was, I was looking this week actually i think the average two-year fix on a 95 percent mortgage has risen to more than seven percent this week and, and to a five-year fix more than 6.4 percent uh, ben are these are kind of you know 
massively unaffordable levels. What have you kind of made of, of the way things have gone over the past few months and the way that both the bank and the government have handled this crisis? So what we've seen is that families are a lot worse off, which has added to the cost of living crisis. I see it in the cases that come in my office on a day-to-day basis where we're seeing people really kind of struggling, particularly those with mortgages, mm. to kind of fill the gap in in terms of the extra cost they're having to, to bear the brunt of. And this is really as a result of the, the fact that I know that there's been a number of factors where we've had the invasion of Ukraine, those had to deal with the cost of living crisis, but also it's been a mismanagement of the economy. We saw um, Liz Truss implement a mini budget which spooked the markets yeah. in terms of, you know, with mortgages and interest rates shooting through the roof. And so what Labour has been talking about is that we need a plan that is like, for, that helps us to move in a fiscally responsible way and providing stable leadership because we feel there hasn't been that much stability from this government in terms of what what needs to be done. So, you know, one of the things that we, we did as soon as we saw that interest rates were due to go up in, in June is that we came up with a proposal in terms of um, a mortgage plan to try and provide support to those with mortgages and make sure that they don't go into repossessions. Yeah. You know, we called for temporary measures. It's just temporary measures to work in line with particularly with the Bank of England. I know there's frustration that there seems to be a bit of discussion about just going around the table with bankers and not really coming up with solutions. And so what we did sit down was we said that um, borrowers to switch to interest only mortgage payments for a temporary period. We also were requiring lenders to allow borrowers to lengthen their term of their mortgage period and also to reverse any support measures when their borrowers request and also requiring lenders to wait another example is wait at least a minimum of six months before initiating repossession of procedures because i'm seeing cases coming to my inbox where we're seeing constituents of mine essentially having repossession orders they're about to lose their properties they're fearful and something needs to be done just to kind of help people just get through this particularly difficult period yeah, I was going to say, because as well as being on you know, the Labour's shadow treasury team, obviously you represent an outer London seat, lots of kind of mortgage holders in there as well. So is that something that you've seen uh, in your sort of constituency work as well as your work, um, you know, within Labour? So um, I'll say that substantially there's been a massive increase in housing cases. You know, generally MPs don't normally kind of deal with those kind of cases, but we're seeing a lot of that coming to my office. And it's also yeah. there's other effects in, in terms of people's mental health affecting them in terms of how they're looking after their children you know if we don't sort that situation out it just creates an effect where it just spreads amongst other things so yeah i'm, I'm definitely yeah. seeing that and when i'm speaking to people on the doorstep it's been an issue that's coming up consistently people are worried they are struggling when they go to sleep about how they're going to put food on the table they're worried about losing their roof um, roof over their head yeah yeah, Adam, just bringing you in on this, we'll talk about kind of the practical and, and kind of fiscal angles of it as well. But kind of the political impact, obviously, you know, as Ben pointed out, the impact of, of Liz Truss's short-lived administration last year means that a lot of the blame has been heaped upon the Conservative Party, who have naturally been you know, seen as sort of the party of homeowners and getting the support of, of homeowners. How do you kind of see the impact of it, given that it's now being sort of labelled quite effectively in some ways by Labour as kind of a Tory mortgage crisis? Yeah, so the, the political impact of this is is huge. Um, and we uh, ran some focus groups recently at my think tank onward. We talked to some folks in Dudley and in Oldham. And look, it's not a novel insight for me to say that the cost of living crisis tops kind of 
polls of public concern. What's become interesting is the degree to which it kind of shoulders out any other issue, right? So we were doing a focus group. We were interested in people's feelings on the environment and net zero. And there was almost a sort of incredulity that we even dare to ask what their opinions were on those topics, because clearly the focus should be on the cost of living crisis. Now, that's a real problem, right? Because it means both government and opposition struggle to move the conversation towards things they might want to talk about, you know, whether that's the government kind of setting out a new vision and a relaunch around September, or that's the opposition trying to hit beats on public services or the NHS or areas where they might have some core strengths. That That's going to be really difficult. And it's particularly difficult because, as has been discussed so far, there's relatively little that government can do on mortgage rates, right, beyond the kind of broader macroeconomic interventions. I think Ben is absolutely right, by the way, that interventions on uh, repossessions are going to be hugely important. I used to work up in the West Midlands, did a lot of work in Birmingham. I'm really scared at the domino effect that will occur and the impact on people that are rough sleeping as people kind of move through different states of housing insecurity. Yeah. But I think the biggest challenge, to come to your point on Liz Truss, yes, that clearly had a huge political impact and the mini budget and the disaster that came after it. My sense, and I'd be curious in James's view on this, my sense is that that kind of Liz Trust bump in terms of the effect it had on the macro economy has probably come out in the wash at this point in time. And any sort of blip that there was because of a nervousness about her is now removed. Yeah. And what we're actually seeing are symptoms of a much broader challenge in our economy in terms of the inflation that's feeding through to the mortgage crisis. And the problem with a Labour Party that says, well, if we just don't have Liz Truss in charge or a party that put Liz Truss in charge, things will be fine, is I think they'll find that's a partial explanation at the point they come into government. And the trickier things they need to do around the fact that we're near full employment, around our balance of trade, around our low productivity, those are the things they're going to need to deal with. And there's relatively little on what they're going to do about that, from my perspective. Yeah, the, the big thing is growth, isn't it? And that's we'll kind of come on to that later. That's that's kind of the thing that everyone's kind of betting on, and actually, that's the kind of the cure for all fiscal ills if you can if you can get to get the economy growing. But just you know, I think Labour's done some analysis looking at at many seats, Tory held seats where the number of mortgage holders exceed the sort of party's majority, and so that makes a lot of seats vulnerable if there is a kind of a homeowner backlash. And, and you say obviously perhaps some of the stuff, the actual effects of the Liz Truss mini budget have, have moved out of the cycle and things perhaps are in some of the markets, maybe even worse than that point. But that's still the thing that everyone remembers. Mm. Because is, that, is that the real issue? I think for the government is to try and convince people that it's it wasn't just that and it's not just them to blame the 13 years in, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, look, if I, if I was the Labour Party, I'd be doing exactly the same thing, right? The right political thing to do is probably to point at the era of Liz Truss. And that may well be enough to win some of those seats that you described. The problem then is at the point you get into government, they say, all right, well, the Liz Truss thing is gone. Now what are you going to do? And that that's quite difficult. I think just on the point of the nature of the political challenge, Tom McTague did, from The Atlantic did this good thing a while ago about kind of Dino's, an archetype of a voter who probably lives in the Midlands on the North, bought their home on credit, the kind of things they spend their money on, are nights out, holidays, etc. That sort of voter is the type of voter that swung seats in the red wall. It's not usually the more traditional kind of working class voters. It's those aspirational kind of low middle class voters. And they're the ones that have been hit really badly. And when we hear things in focus groups like actually can't afford a holiday abroad this year, I've had to scale down this renovation on the bathroom or whatever else. That really practical stuff is what's going to stick in people's minds, regardless of whatever messaging comes from political parties. That's why I think this is such a um, damaging issue and why you know the prime minister is probably right to prioritize above all else 
getting inflation down so at the very least this problem doesn't get significantly worse yeah james on that we as you, as you said well, there is some slight good news this week we had inflation falling faster than expected and on the back of that interest rate predictions kind of fell but obviously the bank is still set to continue to raise interest rates just by less you know firstly do you think it, we are at perhaps a turning point in inflation and secondly what will the impact still be on people who are you know coming off fixed rates in the next few months yeah, so it, it, it was definitely good news. It was definitely good news to have um, inflation falling a bit faster than we, we'd expect for one. So that 0.8 percentage fall in, in inflation to 7.9% is basically the second largest fall this century. We'll do quite a few more of those to get anywhere near the 2% target. So, uh, you know, state the obvious is a long way to go here but as i was hinting at earlier the 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 good news is some some signs that the that sort of stickiness of inflation those kind of underlying core inflation measures once you strip out what's going on with food and energy those volatile bits that that looks like it's coming down now so long way to go The, the mortgage market won't respond immediately to that so we did see that big drop in interest rate expectations. So if you go back to May, people were like, oh, maybe interest rates will peak where they are at four and a half. They've gone up to five. People were expecting maybe six, six and a half. We're now <laughs> looking like a peak that's below below six. So it's moved around a lot. That's been really volatile. Yeah. But for people looking to renew their mortgages, that all comes through with a bit of a lag. It's also not much of a comfort to think, oh, it's going to be five point seven five instead of six percent or whatever. It's still from where it was. Maybe they might have signed. They might have signed when it was at zero or zero point two five the last time they signed a fixed. No, rate. no, no. And if you're you're in a position where you're you're looking to to renew that fix, what you'll notice is much much higher rates. As a position that I'm in personally, so you know that this is not just a professional thing, is it? But it's you know it's a really big deal. Yeah. For those families, just to the point we were that Adam was talking about in terms of what's going on with interest rates, who's to blame, all that kind of thing. So we, we, at the time of Liz Trust, we you know there was definitely a premium in UK interest rates. UK interest rates were in a, a different place. The kind of big jump up that fell back quite quickly. But I actually think the the constraint for the government now is more around what what its room for manoeuvre is. So you know if you look at the tightness of the spending position, the very real constraints on what the government can do, how it might be able to approach the strikes, the things that are really, you know, obvious in terms of making the high inflation all the more miserable for for people, then the government are really struggling to be able to to do more to help in the scaling back of the cost of living crisis support was definitely part of all that yeah. fallout. So there's there's definitely still a hangover and, and Rishi Sunak is dealing with that and it's obvious why you know, the Labour Party are talking about all that. But that kind of interest rate premium, that that looks to have to dropped out quite quickly. Yeah, uh, Ben, I'm bringing you back in then on, on that kind of... You talk a little bit more about Labour's perhaps alternatives. And obviously, if you do win the next election, it's you're going to be handed a pretty difficult set of economic circumstances, not like 1997. Is that why perhaps there's been a discussion about maybe some of that ambition being scaled back and, and perhaps a real focus from your party on kind of fiscal responsibility, I suppose, given the, the difficulty that everyone's going to be facing if you take over next year? I mean, so we do, we have long-term plans in terms of what we we'll need to, to deliver when we're in government. We also have to recognise when, when we come into government, we have to deal with the hand that we're dealt with in terms of the current situation. Yeah. 
but you know, some of our plans that we've spoken about publicly are things that would help us make sure that we have a stable government that would help the economy and interest rates. So for example, we've talked about our office for value of money, we've talked about our five missions, which I'm sure we'll be to talk about, which will help us to make sure that we have things such as energy security, because we've seen how the invasion of Ukraine has impacted us in terms of how so that we've been so reliant on Russia, particularly in terms of resources that provided us in terms yeah. of energy. So we know that we need to look at having energy independence that will protect us long term if we have, were to have you know, situations like that again. And we also recognise that this has impacted inflation. So these are things that we've been spoke, speaking about, you know, and that's a clear plan, an indication that we'll be working towards us. We also know that we need to make sure that we grow in terms of the G7 and we're looking to create more jobs, put money back into people's pockets. And so we do have plans, we do have proposals to get the economy growing. But we also do recognise it's not going to be easy, but we have an ambition to help drive this. And the work is being done on, on that aspect. And whilst we've been in opposition, we have spoken publicly, particularly in terms of where the government could be doing things differently. And we've seen the government take a number of our recommendations on board. Yeah. Well, one of the things I'm kind of interested in is obviously the bank's big lever trying to bring down inflation was to raise interest rates. And that obviously had quite a delayed effect because an awful lot of people are on fixed rate mortgages and, and were kind of encouraged to be over the past few years. Do you think that maybe there needs to be a reshaping of things or, or perhaps a look at an alternative ways because there could be outside factors that increase inflation in the future. You know, there could be more external issues. Do you think that perhaps the government has failed to look around corners and see that that wouldn't really be able to work in the way they wanted it to and perhaps there needs to be a better way of dealing with inflation if we get these outside pressures in the future? I mean, that's that's why I've just talked about our energy security plan. That's part of the yeah. reason why we are looking at that because that has contributed to triggering high inflation, the fact that we haven't got that energy independence. So we have been doing work around that to make sure that we're, you know, as a country, we're able to be in a stronger place, position, if we were to come across national or international conflicts in in the future. And also about making sure that we are able to make sure that we support businesses in the country and help them to grow, particularly in the UK, because that's something that, you know, from conversations and engagement that I've had with various stakeholders, there has been a reluctance to invest within the UK because they felt that our markets, our economy hasn't been stable. And one of the things that I'm particularly concerned about, and I know Rachel Reeves has been concerned about, is businesses leaving the UK to go overseas and, and work in other countries because they don't feel confident that we have a plan to get the economy growing. They don't feel confident that our, our legislations are strong enough for them to invest in. You talked about some of those measures that you, you, the Labour had suggested last month about how to deal with this stuff. Obviously, Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, got lenders into Number 11 and to ask them to help out with the mortgage crisis. Do you think that the markets, that those lenders have followed through with that? And do you think that there needs to be more pressure on them to accept the kind of the role that they've got to play in kind of help people and, and get them get through this kind of crisis? Um, I'm not here to, to, to criticise lenders. I think yeah. if we're in government, we would work closely with lenders. But one of the things that we would certainly do is instruct the regulator to require lenders to allow borrowers to switch to interest on mortgage payments for a temporary period. That's something that I mentioned earlier. 
And I yeah. say not allowed borrowers to lengthen their term of their mortgage period because you just mentioned, you know, a number of people with their fixed term, it's come to an end. And so this would certainly help people if they were to lengthen the, in terms of moving forward. Mm. And also wider things is about, you know, the renter's charter looking at ending no-fault evictions. So the government have gone around the table, but we also feel that it, it took a while before, the, before they started to enter into conversations and that they should have started to act much quicker. Yeah, on that, on that Adam, there's also criticism of, I suppose, of the bank have not getting going quickly enough on raising interest rates, the fact that they perhaps didn't see inflation as being as much of an issue as it ended up being. Do you think that some of that criticism and level at the bank has been has been acceptable, has been right to do so? And if so, what, what can the government do, I suppose, in the future? So I think governments need to be really careful about these criticisms of the bank, right? Because yeah. the Bank of England independence was just, I think, objectively a good thing, has brought a kind of clarity to monetary policy and a consistency to monetary policy that is definitely good for the market. And I think... There are two criticisms of the bank at the moment, right? One of them is they didn't act fast enough. And the other, as James kind of alluded to, is they're acting quite aggressively now without necessarily waiting to see the impacts of that. So Andy Haldane did a piece in the FT recently kind of saying that actually maybe the medicine is going to be too brutal and might be damaging the patient. And we should think about a slightly gentler approach so that what we don't do is end up pushing the economy into a really difficult recession. Right. So they could have perhaps waited to see the impact of their first few raises before they carried on raising because of the lag time in terms of how it would affect people. Possibly. I mean, look, they're in an impossible position and the MPC is quite a good way of making these decisions, right? A series of experts to kind of look at all the data and make a decision in the round. So I am you know, I am definitely not one of those that's going to write an op-ed saying they don't know what they're doing because <laughs> they do have a lot of insight. But the one of the interesting things about Bank of England, in the, England independence is actually that judgment about how do we balance whether the economy is better off going into a recession but decreasing inflation more quickly or tolerating high levels of inflation. There is a political element to that decision, right? Which groups you want to lose out at which point? What do you prioritise more than whatever else? So that's why I think it is legitimate for politicians to opine on that and to make their views known. But ultimately, the decision is one that lies with the Bank of England and, and I think should continue to. Mm. James, just on the kind of the wider impact of this kind of stuff, I saw a big report from the Citizen Advice this week saying that homeowners in this country are living on negative budgets now. Their kind of basic costs are, are rising because of these interest rates and inflation. And, and a report by your own Resolution Foundation called Household Wealth in Britain to fall by two trillion pounds over the past year. Can you explain a bit more about that? We've basically been living with this period of incredibly low interest rates. So since the financial crisis back in 2008, we've seen interest rates really fall back down. And what that has come with is basically higher house prices, a real sort of increase in in financial wealth, and the, the very violent shift to incredibly high interest rate. So, you know, we've been bumping along around zero for years. And now we're expecting the bank policy rate to peak about six, that sort of level. But financial markets now expect that to stay about 4%, whereas previously they had sort of be like more, more like 1% in the long term. So we've had this really big shift in interest rates. It might sound very sort of techy and uh, esoteric and not things that people are interested in, but it really has a a massive effect on the value of financial assets. So some people just have interest rate related financial assets that they just hold them, but it also affects 
more, also affects what uh, the, the price of housing, what's happening to people's pensions, all that kind of thing. So we've seen a very violent drop, you know, as you say, it's a sort of two trillion fall, we estimate, we don't have detailed data on that, so we have to estimate what's going on. But what's really interesting is basically the type of society we live in, the type of politics we will face will be really shaped by whether this is a permanent thing or we go back to that low rate world. If it is a permanent thing, then it, you know, it's a world in which it's much, much easier to save for a good standard of living in retirement. The houses potentially become much more affordable. This will be a, a transfer essentially from old asset holders to young people who are looking to get on the property ladder, looking to save for their pensions. But if we go back to that low interest rate world, then the same sort of problems, that kind of intergenerational inequality that we've seen, that all re-exerts itself. And it really becomes very difficult again to save for your, for your retirement. How, getting on the housing ladder is, is really, really difficult. So it's incredibly important, but economists can't really tell you where interest rates are going to be. So we, we, we know what markets are, are pricing, but we don't know with certainty. So all this just means that there'll be big factors shaping our politics. And we'll also have to really think about how we deal with that volatility that we've seen, whether we get more of it in the future. And that's going to be really, really important for what the government does. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Benner, as, as Adam pointed out from those focus groups, we were talking about, it's, it's become the kind of the big issue at the moment. It's the kind of the issue that kind of dwarfs everything else. You're speaking to us from Oxbridge, where you're campaigning in a by-election. Obviously, we've got a general election next year. You know, how important do you think this is going to be into the general election? You know, it'll kind of, in the sense, squeeze out everything else. And is, is that kind of the thing that the Labour are really focusing on when it comes to the next general election? You know, making sure that households either feel better off with you guys or that you can maybe turn things around from where they've been on the last... Uh, Conservative government. Yeah, that's something that has come up on the doorstep when I've been speaking to people about home security, along other wider factors such as concerns about you know the NHS and yeah. other other factors that people want to see is you know the economy kind of growing. I feel really confident that the proposals and the work that we're doing as a Labour Party would help provide support to those particularly in insecure situations at the moment you know particularly you know we were very quick to react in terms of what we could do in terms of our five-point plan to ease those soaring mortgages and hot repossessions i think also one of the things we also need to recognize particularly is particularly families younger people you know those that want to get up the ladder making sure that they also have the aspirations to be able to buy their first home yeah. and you've probably heard as of us as a party talking about that a lot um, in terms of making sure those people are able to achieve those those dreams as well. Yeah, so sort of beyond the sort of the technocratic stuff, is it's about kind of trying to offer hope, I suppose, and, and, and inspiration, I suppose, of a of a future Labour government, a future administration that would that would offer something better than the one before, right? Yeah, well better than what's happened in the last thirteen years, if I'm gonna be completely honest right <laughs> um, and adam on that kind of idea of of hope that's the obviously the, the conservatives have got their own five point plan part of it's to do with inflation but otherwise it's just to kind of if at the moment it feels a little bit like it's sort of a series of quite rote pledges not necessarily thing that would be particularly inspirational do you think that perhaps the the government needs to go beyond that we know that richard sinek's going to offer a, a, a big speech in september maybe setting out more of a vision you know can they kind of offer hope what's the likelihood of things like tax cuts having having a place in the in the future given that we know that the economy is still in a very difficult position 
Yes, I think there will need to be a, a better offer that comes from the government. I think they've kind of flagged that they are going to do that. So these five pledges were, look, you can trust us. And then it sounds like what Rishi Sunak said to the 1922 committee last night was, there's something bigger and more exciting coming. Yeah. I think that will involve things like tax cuts. I imagine it will have a skew towards the sorts of groups that the Conservatives need to get to vote for them. So there will be a clear offer for kind of homeowners, possibly for older voters. My encouragement is to have a clear offer for younger and aspirational voters as well, because they'll be part of a winning cohort. And look, there will be a lot of attack lines on, on Labour, and I'm not giving away any kind of Tory secrets by saying that Labour can't be trusted on the economy will be one of them. That's yeah. why I think the and colleagues probably rightly from their perspective are emphasising that fiscal discipline. The, yeah. the challenge will be how both parties break away from the constraints they have on fiscal discipline, on the lack of trust from the public, and offer something that is hopeful, because there does not seem to be much of that um, at the moment. Both parties are kind of playing defence and they'll need to move into something more aspirational. Yeah, James, just kind of finally on that then, I suppose, I talked about before, growth is kind of the, the cure for a lot of problems. And obviously both both the Katota and Labour would want to try and get that. What, have you seen any signs that there will be uh, chances to kind of to grow the economy? Or again, both both sides are both kind of defensive mode. Is it, is it going to be possible, do you think, in the, over the next sort of 18 months? Well, it can't get much worse, can it? I mean, <laughs> the, um, so we, 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 people have talked about avoiding recession. We are pretty much flatlining at the moment. So yeah. a recession, a technical recession is going to feel pretty similar to where we are now and there's a you know strong case for saying that we that could still happen we could still slide into recession if you if you sort of look back to you know the past sort of 15 years or so we've lurched from the financial crisis about brexit we've had the pandemic we've now moved into cost of living growth. so we've hit this sort of succession of big crises and what that's really meant is the the um growth rate of the economy is just absolutely collapsed so if you look at the past 15 years as a whole, you have to go back to the Great Depression to find a period that was as weak as the as the one we've just had. And I'm pretty hopeful on this. So at the Resolution Foundation, we had our Economy 2030 inquiry is basically all about getting growth, driving gains across the income distributions everybody shares in that growth. And I feel like, you know, a combination of coherent policies on the labour market that address what's happening on trade, think about the sources of growth. I think there's a, a lot of reasons for thinking that the future will be quite a lot better than where we are today. But what's really needed by both parties is a coherent set of policies that say, what are our strengths? What are our key sources of growth? And we're going to you know, do what we what we can to really maximise those, but to think about how we have the benefit system, how we do training and, and align that with those big priorities. At the moment, that's missing. You know, it's not a conversation we're, we're having enough and that's what's really got to change as we, as we move into the election. That's all we've got time for this week, but you can read all the latest on the big stories from Westminster, including the fallout from this week's by-election triple header at politicshome.com. And keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven-day week newsletters by clicking on the link on our homepage. Thanks again to my guests, Abena Opongasare, James Smith and Adam Hawksby. Thanks all again for listening. Please subscribe, review podcasts and leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at politicshome or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, I've been Alan Tolhurst and this has been The Rundown.